Take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Take your stinking hands off me, you damn dirty human! Take your stinking paw off me, you damn dirty ape! So we ready to do this? Yeah. All right. Waiting on you. So welcome to Take Me to Your Reader, a Pavement Pounders podcast. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And we are the Pavement Pounders. Take Me to Your Reader is the podcast where we talk about adapted sci-fi at its best and worst, uh, where we take usually a pretty well-known film that's adapted from an earlier written work, and we read that written work, and we watch the movies, and we watch remakes, and we watch reboots, and re-adaptations, and... Commentaries. And commentary sometimes, and we talk about all of it here. We'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, kind of generally throw it across the table at each other. So for our first couple shows, we wanted to go with kind of classic titles, and one of the ones we went with in our first episode was The Day the Earth Stood Still. So this time we're going to go with another pretty classic title, Planet of the Apes from 1968, which is based on the book Planet of the Apes by Pierre Boulle from 1963, um, also alternatively titled Monkey Planet. Monkey Planet. Monkey yes. Planet. Evidently, and we, I, I think we need like a listener who knows French to let right. us know if is there no distinct word between monkey and ape in French. I don't know. So just kind of described as simian. Right. So in that sense, uh, I I think right here is a good time to mention how people can get a hold of us if they want to correct us on our understanding of French, um, because my entire understanding of French is from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So if anyone wants to get a hold of us, if you're a listener out there and you think we're off our rockers, which is probably true, um, you can find us at pavementpodcast.com. And we have this very nice and consistent social media presence. It's facebook.com slash pavementpodcast. Twitter, it's at pavementpodcast. So if you want to hit us up any of those ways, um, feedback at pavementpodcast is the email address. So we all read the book. We all watched the original film. We all watched the 2001 film. Um... Colin missed out on watching the reboot film, and we'll talk about it just briefly. Two thirds of us have watched. Yes. Two thirds. Rise so, of the Planet of the Apes. Colin is in the doghouse for not having watched it. Um, but let's go ahead and just start by talking about the novel. Kind of a, a personal story about the novel, like how I discovered it, because I was the one who kind of um, agitated for doing this one early, right. um, because I knew it was based on a novel. I didn't um, realize it was based on a novel. Right. So. And and yeah. I didn't either until <laughs> a number of years ago. I was taking public transportation to work. And at the, uh, we're all in the Portland area and live in Hillsboro. And, um, I was commuting and they used to have a little kind of one room affair library at the Third Avenue light rail station in Hillsboro, okay. um, called Books by Rail. It was really cool, but, um, it was so small that they had a binder there with the entire <laughs> listing, their whole catalog. And so one day while I was waiting for the train, I just started thumbing through it to see what was there. And I saw Planet of the Apes was there. And I think I had recently like watched Marathon, watched all of them on AMC when they were doing their Channel oh, Channel cool. of the Apes thing. <laughs> um, so I picked the book up, and that became my my commute book for a while. And I, I think I probably just read it in a couple of days because I nice. enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, but I think a lot of people don't know that it's based on a novel. And one right. of our um, guiding factors here is we want to encourage people to go back and read some of these lesser-known written works from movies that they might already know. I guess at the outset here we should mention... Just by the nature of discussing what's different, we're going to be spoiling the book to some extent. Yeah. I think we should probably try to leave like the best parts unspoiled. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. But like you said, just because we are discussing the book, then the movies, and the interactions between them and how they're adapted, 
Yeah. It by nature spoils everything, so we're not going to offer a spoiler alert, I don't think. Right. I mean, <laughs> the spoiler alert is if you haven't read it and you're interested in listening to the podcast without being spoiled, go read the book. You know, you, you right. can hit pause, go read the book, we'll wait watch for the you. movies, and we'll totally wait for you. Um, but I think generally we're going to be able to assume that people have seen the movies before they would deliberately listen to a podcast about them. Um, maybe they haven't right. read the book, so go read the book. Um, one one note kind of trivia about the book is that the author, Pierre Boulle, he is also the author of The Bridge on the River Kwai, which is quite a well-known film. I think it's an Academy Award winner. Um, had Sir Alec Guinness in it. Yep. It did. Um, and so, I mean, that, I keep meaning to put it like on an official to be read list because I love the movie and I'm going to have to read that. So, as I am the person, and this is Seth talking in case anyone doesn't know our voices yet, um, I've read the book twice now, so I kind of thought it's probably my responsibility to talk the most about the book. Um, the other guys will get into the conversation, I promise. Eventually. Um, yeah. You can jump in at any time. But, the, yeah, the format of the book is, is substantially different than the movie. The movie is kind of a straight-up narrative, um, as movies tend to be. The right. book has sort of that message-in-a-bottle structure to it, um, where there's actually a spacefaring couple out in space in their very unrealistic 1963 conception of space travel, and they find essentially like a message in a bottle in space that purports to be the adventures of an astronaut or, well, a guy named Ulysses Murrow. Right. Again, he was a, he was a, a journalist. Yes, please. Right. Um, let's call him Taylor from here on, because there's. I'm, I'm just going to be <laughs> killing that uh, I, over I and over. I just called him Moreau, because I think that's what he went through through the rest of the book. He kind of, you know, it was like a Taylor. Taylor was Taylor's Moreau. last name. Right. Moreau, oh, right. Moreau. Okay. Yeah. Let's call him Moreau. Gord. Moreau for the book. I, I'm calling Taylor him Taylor. for the movie. Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. I got a microphone in front. You can't stop me. <laughs> but he was Leo in the third movie. Oh. <sighs> yeah. He was? Yeah, yeah, Leo something, and I don't even. Yeah, that's one of the things about that movie. Like, I don't remember any of the character names because they were so generic and cardboard cutouts. But we will get to that uh, in in due course. Um, I think though, between the bookends of that um, message in a bottle format, the adventures in it are pretty similar in broad strokes to the 1968 film, with some exceptions. And the main one, and this is major spoilers, is that. In the movie, anyone who's seen it knows that the mission, the mission, the space mission, was essentially unsuccessful. They did not reach a distant planet, the one that they thought they had reached. Right. Um, where in the book, they totally do. Right. Um, they, they have their, their interesting ability to get up close enough to the speed of light so that a two-year trip can take them either to Proxima Centauri or to Betelgeese Be- or Beetle, Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse. Um, yeah. I'm, again, also, uh, any scientists or astrophysicists out there who know how Beetlejuice is pronounced, uh, let us know that. So, anyway, back to the book. Um, yeah, they do actually arrive on the planet, and this is where, it, even though what basically happens is sort of the same, um, there's the difference of Taylor, or Maru, whatever his name is. Um, right. It, he's never injured in the throat like he is in the film, because in a more realistic fashion, he arrives on this distant planet... And the apes don't speak English because apes don't speak English and people on other planets don't speak English. Um, they speak some simian tongue, which it takes them a while to learn and be able to communicate. Um, so that's kind of one of the main differences that I actually really like in the film because um, there's no way that they were going to have him learn another language. Not in... Not in a film. No. Um, so it's kind of an acceptable science fiction trope that the universal language is English um, and everyone speaks it. So I'm, I'm willing to give it a pass on that. So, yeah, 
I think if you've seen the movie, you kind of know what happens in the book, but it does differ somewhat. And the ending, before the sort of bookend ending, um, has a kind of a great twist that's different than the one in, in, in the movie. And that's one of the things that, where when we want to recommend to people to read the books, um, you're rewarded for that by some different twists and turns and things. What are you smiling about, James? Oh, nothing. I uh, just, just read here that it, uh, apparently on BBC One, there was a Monkey Planet TV series. Seriously? Yeah. Okay, that is awesome. Um, <laughs> but there was a, a monkey, there was a Planet of the Apes TV there, series here in the States. Yeah, there was a Planet of the Apes. In fact, I think I remember seeing a couple episodes of it when I was a kid. Yeah, there was a blonde oh, guy and a dark haired okay. guy, and their names were Starsky and Hutch. No, wait a minute. <laughs> Wrong series. I'll get them all mixed up. Very similar five. in terms of the intellectual uh, level. Um, right. There was a cartoon also. Yeah. So, but we're not talking about the film yet. We're still talking about the book. So, um, at this point, you know, I, we don't want to spoil most of it, and so I think at this point, just kind of general discussion of it, and either of you guys got anything to say? Well, I was going to say, I thought it was interesting, and in the book, and kind of brought up into in the movie, was the where all three of us, when we were reading the book, it kind of spurred this physics discussion, right? Uh, right. Oh, yeah, dilation. length contraction. Yeah. yeah. Time dilation and length contraction at the, the yeah. speed of light. Yeah, so... And for, we, we spent quite some time, uh, weeks, in fact, we uh, did, debating yeah. this back and forth. Yeah, so... <laughs> and learning, and learning at the same time exactly what... All these different uh, phenomena were right. I mean, you right. went out and actually I, did a I whole it up, yeah. spreadsheet. So uh, one <laughs> one thing that's probably worth mentioning here is is uh, well that we're dorks um, and geeks and nerds and what whatever you would choose to call. So us. that's kind of another fun aspect of yeah, reading this an, book. Another thing that I didn't that mention at the outset debate. is is that we're running buddies, and so um, when we're out there, we'll, we'll be talking about whatever we've been reading or watching, and and we'll talk about. Uh, points of science and we'll disagree about stuff and it's you know it keeps us from being distracted by how tired we are makes the miles um, blind but yeah we, we did have um one thing that we're going to like to do here is to, to kind of look at the science in the books and and we're not we're not professional physicists or professional scientists or anything but um we have at least kind of a lay perspective on it and and so we'll look at some science and go is that quite right and and with this one like i mentioned they 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 figured out that essentially they could go almost any distance in the same amount of time because it took a year to get up to speed and a year to get decelerated. Right. But right. in between, if they were going fast enough, then it was essentially the same trip from four light years to 600 light years. Um, and so I actually did, uh, I, I looked up a couple relativity equations and threw them into a spreadsheet and figured out that going, I think it was 99 percent of the speed of light <laughs> it was effectively the same trip between uh, Pro proximate centauri and and betelgeuse wow um within eight hours nice. and so i figured you know if if it's uh the difference of less than a day effectively it's the same trip to me i mean right. if it's a space voyage if it's a if it's a road trip right. obviously that's well when not, it takes you a year to get up there a year to accelerate a year to decelerate no matter of days or Hours doesn't yeah, that really matter thinking. at that point. Yeah, so the comparison between the amount of transit time and just the speeding right. up and speeding uh, and slowing down, um, to yeah. me, so it seemed it seemed to work given my understanding of length contraction and time dilation, and I could be completely wrong. And the one thing that I didn't factor in there at all was the mass, um, the, the oh, uh, yes. apparent mass, right. which which would be off the charts too. Yeah, um, it would be. Yeah. And so the energy required for that you'd think would be phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was an interesting thing. And the book does have another issue that. I do want to talk about it at some point because um, the, the movie has issues, obviously, with the English thing, right? Um, right, right. Where the book handles that better. But there are parts, there are things that the, I feel like the movie does better than the book. And I guess at this point we should probably talk Such about it. Such as Naked Women? 
<laughs> so yeah, there are some significant differences. Yeah, One is the English. In the book, all the humans are naked. Right. Yes. Right. And in the book, they're, you know, they're primal they're feral the humans because yeah. it's rated G. Yeah, it's rated right. G. Although there's tushies. I mean, the, the, when when they find the waterfall in the in the film, they all strip down, and I mean, there's totally oh, yeah. naked dudes. You totally get the backside of Charles yeah. Heston, which yeah. I guess was okay in a G-rated film. Um, right. So if you've seen the movie, you can say you've been mooned by Charlton Heston. Yes, and the other two dudes. The red shirt, the black dude, who of course dies first. Right. And uh, and then the other dude. Um, it's Dodge and Landon. Those are the other the other guys. Um, but yeah, I I wasn't sure if we should talk about the part of the book that I had the biggest problem with now, because um, I will say that I really like the book and I've read it twice and right. and, and I think it's terrific and well, I, I would totally agree. I really like the book as yeah, well. Yeah, it's a good book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's good to read in conjunction with the films, you know, and we'll, we'll rank them at some point in, in each episode. I think we're going to say what, what is the order of our preference of, of, of these things, of the book and, the, and any of the movies. And, uh, well, we might I'll, as well I'll be surprised into, if uh, one of the remake movies ever makes it to the top slot. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but, and Colin is going to gripe about that just a little bit. Well, eventually, point. you know, we've talked about letting comic books be source material. In yeah. which case, we can then talk about Batman. So we can talk about Tim Burton's Batman, just like we're going to talk about Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. Right. It's Burton a question of how much... The, the, the problem with considering comics for for this kind of show is, you know, right now we can go, yeah, we're going to read that book, right? With yeah. comic books, you're like, okay, are we going to read Spider-Man or the Spectacular Spider-Man or the Invincible Spider-Man right. or whatever? Because um, there's so many... I think you would have to pick a specific story arc. Yeah, I think with Batman we could do like the Dark Knight Returns well, for Batman Begins. Christopher Nolan made it really obvious, and uh, The Dark Knight, which source material he was most inspired by right. for the movie. And so I would, I would recommend reading those. Okay. Anywho, Anyways, that's a back on top housekeeping thing, which we can totally keep in the podcast because right. who cares? Yeah, it's our show. Okay, our so rules. you were talking about our the book rules, and yes. the thing that you really didn't care for in the right. book. Right. So okay, I think go ahead. you should go ahead because yeah, go for it. Um, let's save the the twist in the book because it is different from the yeah. twist in the movie. It the is. twist in the movie is pop culture now. Right. If you don't know that Charlton Heston sees that large statue and mm-hmm. swears, yeah. Um, the, so I will mention. Oh, well, we'll get back to that when we're going to get to trivia on the films. Yeah. Um, but okay. So my major problem is there's there's an essentially expository part of the book where you find out what happened. You find out how the apes took over, and in broad oh, strokes, right. it matches with what we have in some of the other films. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I think James you haven't seen any of the other films right the, no, I have the original ones and Colin you've said you've seen bits and pieces of all of them right now I've seen all of them and I know that Conquest of the Planet Apes kind kind of shows the takeover of, of the apes and how and what had happened and it talks about how the apes became pets after all most of the world's pets died off and then they gradually were given tasks to do and became essentially servants or slaves um, and there was you know kind of an inevitable rebellion gonna happen um, is this, Where, wait, you're just talking about Conquest of Planet Yeah, Conquest of Planet oh, okay. And so it kind of adapts Because that's that, pretty similar to the book. It's pretty right? similar I to mean, the book. I mean, they didn't mention yeah. the lack of pe- other pets to have right. and, <laughs> on and, the planet. So this planet. is where my problem comes in. Um, the way they learn this is by Zira putting some kind of a probe on a human's brain, a, a mute human, because it, it, right. similar yeah. to they the movie, already... the humans can't talk. She puts this probe on the guy's brain, and he just he begins talking, right, under... under not hypnotic conditions exactly, but like right. his brain is being stimulated in a certain way. And I've seen reports of this kind of thing happening in science where they'll stimulate different parts of someone's brain and they'll start talking randomly. Um, but what he starts talking about, he starts narrating things that have happened 
in the deep past that he couldn't possibly have been aware of. It was a racial anyway, memory. Kind it's of some a kind thing. of a yeah, yeah collective I mean, unconscious or racial memory. Racial memory. They're he was and, reciting their racial history. Which right. Is and so, so I wonder if this was just if if that kind of thing in like is this. I guess it's kind of during the rise of psychoanalysis and that kind of stuff. Um, 1963, that's not that long ago. But you'd, you'd think that, I don't know, to me, that didn't work. Um, and my, my major problem with it is I didn't need to know any of that in order for the book to still work. All you needed to know was that the apes had taken over, and as they find out later, there was a previous human civilization on the planet. Um, so that's very similar to what happens in the, in the 1968 film. And so, yeah, that's kind of my my main problem. I'm glad they didn't adapt that at all for the film, and it left mm-hmm. them someplace to go with the franchise because then they do kind of adapt that concept right. without the clunky kind of weird pseudoscience collective unconscious thing. Right. So that's that's kind of my main. It would have worked if they were the Borg. <laughs> right. But that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that that's the other thing, right? If you want to have that information, why not have it? You're already going to right. an archaeological dig. They they do that in the book, just like they do in the film, where they discover right. artifacts and stuff. Why not find documents or or there or a recording or, or anything? A stone tablet of some sort. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So th- there there were other ways that that could have been affected, and I don't. Know, I just had a problem with that. Um, done that particular way. Done that way. Yeah. And and I felt like it was kind of unnecessary to the plot for him to find that out. Because the dig provides most of that information anyway. Yeah. And to some extent. And and not to jump right. ahead to the movie too quickly, but We're about there. It, it's kind of hinted at that the apes in the movie already knew this and were suppressing it. Yes. Because they didn't want right. the truth to be known. Not everybody knew it. Um not the intelligentsia. Not yeah, just the intelligentsia. Yeah. Right. Those in control. Th- those in control. But that, of... but that the that hint that you're talking about in the movie wasn't there in the book though. No, Is it was it? not. Oh, okay. No, it was a completely new thing, right? Well, um the 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 history of the hu- of the humans, like the archaeological dig. How you in the movie they kind of you got to the cave and the the elder apes. No, that that is in the book. They they do get to that that cave. No, and I know they find they, the I know they get doll, the, right? right? But the, but there was the that elder ape, the older ape that already that already knew. Right. Right. Yeah. They already knew that the cave was there and it had stuff to prove mm-hmm. apes at one time were less quote unquote lesser beings, lesser right. than humans. But in the book, they in the book no one knew that. Right, and instead, in the book, they fir- once they figured it out, they tried to cover it up. Right, right. Um, th- there's an interesting thing in the book um, where there's this dichotomy between science, mm-hmm. like the science that's done by Cornelius and Zira, right. and official science, which is represented by Doctor <laughs> Zayas and the Council. Right, it's a little different in the film um, because he's the kind of the head of the scientists and defender of the faith. And so it's right. it's not just scientific dogma; it's religious dogma mixed with science. So in, so it's kind of that. I mean, we went through this in our history, right? Where 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 the church had dogma and said, no, 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 you are not allowed to suggest that the earth is more than six thousand years old, or you know that or kind of thing. You're not allowed, or not, not the center of the universe. Right? The center of the universe. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was interesting in the book, just the notion of official science, because that's still around here too. And I think a lot of people don't know right. about it. They think that science is this very, you know peer-reviewed process and stuff, which mm-hmm. that, that stuff's there. But there are areas where, like, if you wanted to study cold fusion, you're not getting funding for that. Probably not. Um, be- because, it, because it was right. so publicly discredited that it is now official science that cold fusion doesn't work. It's anathema. Right. You couldn't possibly have any credibility after doing it. Yeah. 
And well, maybe you could. <laughs> yeah. So and one one other area, I I recently read a book called The Trouble with Physics by Lee Smolin, I believe, and it was all about string theory and how you know there are any number of approaches to grand unification, you know, between quantum mechanics and general relativity. Um, but if you're not studying string theory, it's harder to be respected and to get funding because official science says no, string theory is is the answer. So that that kind of thing is still with us, and so I kind of liked it in the book. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, even as a religious person myself, I, I don't have a problem with the film making that leap to kind of unifying official science and religious dogma, um, because I, I can be quite critical of my own team in that respect, um, because I sure. I definitely see that kind of thing happening still today, and we have some right. pretty animated discussions about it on runs. <laughs> we have had. Most of them involving uh, evolution versus... It is true. So, any other comments on the book from the peanut gallery? Because I talked a lot. Right. Nope. I had the quibble that, in the book you get the idea there's a long time between when humans spoke and when they didn't speak today. And right. yet, the the professor, scientist guy, that, that is yes. the one that invents the light speed drive, he invents Taylor Maru. He's brilliant, obviously. Yeah. He yeah. invites him to come along right. and record all this because he's a professional journalist. Right. And uh, he eventually stops talking because he gets thrown in with, with right. a bunch of feral humans. Yeah, he turns feral. He turns yeah. feral. And he does it yeah. in a matter of months. Yeah. Uh, I can almost believe that you could learn how to speak a completely foreign language in a few months to the point of saying, sure. I want to go here, I want to go there. Mm-hmm. I don't believe you could completely lose your ability to speak and your... Right. Yeah, I call BS right. on that, too. And yeah, th- that was right. that was another thing that um, that I did want to mention as a, as a scientific gripe, so I'm glad yeah. you brought it up. Um, because there's two sides to that. There, there's the other side where they talk about how um, apes essentially have everything they need in order to speak but lack the will to speak. Right. Um, and so it's, it's easy. Which is then totally to, completely false. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. as far as I know, and again, yeah, I'm not an evolutionary biologist. I'm not a primate biologist. Um, but as far as I know, yeah, it's, right. there's more I've, I've, more I've software read on several forums that they don't have. They actually don't have the vocal cords necessary right. to simulate human speech, and that's why they use sign language. Right. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of the other side of it. The the yeah. humans can go feral just like that and lose the ability to speech and uh, to speak, and apes can just spontaneously start, start right. talking. Yeah, right. and even in the film franchise, in Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, you have the first non-advanced ape begin to speak spontaneously, and I do kind of have a problem with that, just on the on the evolutionary right. kind of kind of idea, where okay, in a couple thousand years, apes go from being right. you know in zoos and in the wild to being walking upright and doing science. Um, that was the interesting thing about the book, though, how it had that simian language. That, well, yeah, I like that. Anyway. Um, and and one thing I love about the book is the the notion of the simian society being based on mimicry, and so right. they they can come yes. up to the level yeah. of technology from the civilization that they took over and never exceed it. And I thought that was a a very cool idea. Mm. Um, you don't really see that in the film. No. And and we'll right. we'll talk about that kind of in bits of trivia that I learned um, when we get to that. But yeah, the, the idea that a human could just go feral suddenly didn't work. And that's another thing I liked about the way they adapted it in the book, because that guy who was sort of in the zoo or um, collected among, amongst a bunch of other feral humans had been operated on and like lobotomized. Right. And that that it's a, it's right. a great scene in the movie, and it's a plausible way why all of a sudden he has stopped talking, evolved. Right. Right. So. One other thing about the book, which I, which I, I guess I enjoyed. I didn't really like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like reading part of a horror novel where you're like, "Oh, that's gross!" Like I want to read more. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, was was the whole idea that I don't understand that, by the way. I don't read horror novels. 
Well, we'll get you there. You okay. watched The Walking Dead. That's true. It was the portrayal of how the apes treat a human that we as the readers know is intelligent. Right. And I wonder, you know, if, if we were in that situation, would we really recognize another intelligent species? There was a lot yeah. of condescension. There was, oh, right. look, they're mimicking us. Oh, oh wasn't that cute? Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of that. And it's like, wow, are we really, as a species, that, that jaded? Right. Would and we be? Let's get, we, we need to talk about that, about the remake film, because I have a real problem with it in that sense. Okay. And, and so we, we will come back to it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does, it does have that, you know, science fiction should ask questions. Well, right? that, and that, what he just described happens in all iterations as well, right? It does. But well, I know in, bo- in the, the book, book the 1968 I movie, I don't really remember a specific instance of that in the 2001 movie. They were, they were very cruel. And then, the humans, of course, right? they're also rise. They were cruel. But, and they were suppressed. And they hunted them the same way. Yeah. They were, yeah. but there wasn't a whole lot of, there wasn't a whole lot of science going on in 2001. No. Movie. And, and there fact, was no, like, experimentation like there was in the rest of the franchise. Right. And then maybe that's. Yeah, well, there's no, Zira isn't there. And that's, that's right. one of my major problems with it. Cause she's right. kind of, what, yeah, one thing true. that I really like about the book and about the 1968 film is you have this strong female character in there who's a right. scientist, which was cool. And, for the time, yeah. you know, you didn't get that. That's true. So much. Um, a lot of times, the females were just there to look pretty. Yep. Um, and scream. And scream. And scream. Yes, as we talked about in the last episode. Okay. So I think at this point, move on. So the film was adapted famously into a 1968 film, which it's interesting. I mean, five years between publication and being adapted for a film. That's to me, that's kind of impressive, especially since it was originally written in French. Yeah, I'd love um, to know the story behind that. Yeah. Well, so part of the story here, and we'll get into just a bit of trivia kind of at the outset, was the original screenplay for it was written by Rod Serling. That's right. Yeah. yeah but, but it was sort of considered unfilmable because he wanted it to be an advanced ape civilization. And I'm not sure why that made it unfilmable, but they ended up going with a much more primitive ape culture. Right. Um, where they said things like, like more advanced, like, more advanced like they were in the book. Because in the book, you know, they were driving cars. Right. And helicopters. And locomotives yep. and helicopters. And yeah. Yeah. So they swinging had, across the street, which would have been they, awesome. They had essentially see. 20th yeah. century <laughs> technology in the book, right? <laughs> right. Whereas in this one, it's more, I mean, they have guns. So it's kind of. True. They have guns, but they were living in like huts and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, which was you could make an argument that, that apes wouldn't necessarily build houses. But if, That's true. if you go with that, mimicry idea which right. they didn't really bring across for the film then you would probably have no yeah, but they, but they did well they did mimic quite a bit in the film though as like their um they take the, the way they hunted humans for instance yes that's true was how humans would hunt apes right and right. and kind of like you mentioned colin there, there's there's that bit of science fiction asking question about how we treat other creatures right uh, what kind of respect we have for other creatures right. and it's kind of a a look at man's barbarism against himself too True. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't doubt that we use techniques similar to the way they hunted the apes when we were, you know, grabbing slaves three or four hundred years ago. Right. right. And actually, now I'll mention this right now. In Rise of the Planet of the Apes, you see apes being caught for medical experimentation. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's it's kind of similar. Okay. To the way it's done in in the original film. The original film. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and we've already talked about kind of the the twist. Everybody knows it. Right. I mean, I think it's it's just kind of a right. pop culture thing. The you maniacs, you blew it up. Damn you all to hell. <laughs> um, and at that point, he's finally not yelling at the apes because he's always calling them the damn dirty apes. And you right. this, and you that. And all of a sudden, yeah. he understands where he really is. Yes. I'm home. And it's a great scene. And, right. and so hopefully we haven't spoiled it for somebody. If you haven't seen it, it's really yeah, on you. Just go watch it, I guess. Yeah. Um, although you still haven't made your wife watch it. So That's true. Come on. We um, made her sit through the remake. <laughs> Got to be gentle from here on out. That, that could burn <laughs> she somebody. She could still be in yeah. shock. Yeah, but she watched Rise with you too, right? Yeah, she watched so, Rise with me. Yeah. yeah. The, the thing I didn't 
didn't really like about the the movie, mm-hmm. I guess. The, the makeup I thought was horrible. The original and, one? Yeah. It was state of the art for the time. But, I, oh, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it might have won I, an Academy Award. I, I, oh, can, really? Somebody Google oh. that quick. Um, I got it. But yeah, I was watching it last night and, yeah. and my 12 year old son walked in right. and said, is that Planet of the Apes? Well, it looks terrible. And, <laughs> like, well, but it's, that's what they had at the right. time. And it does everything it needs to do, right? right? You can tell who's an ape and who's a non-ape. Okay. And, and right here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Another thing too is I wasn't really, Although I just interrupted you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I wasn't impressed with Taylor, I have to say. Oh, with Charlton Heston? Yeah. No, oh. not so much Charlton Heston. Well, maybe Charlton Heston, I don't know, because I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. Mm-hmm. Just the Taylor character. I didn't like the character very much. I thought he was kind okay. of... You didn't find him... Arrogant uh, and a little... Well, he, he was totally supposed is. to be arrogant. Stupid. Yeah. And he does have I an arc, know. though, that I noticed watching it just yesterday. Because, oh, really? yeah, he starts off, they land on the planet, and it's this mm-hmm. desert waste in Utah. Um, right. That's supposed to be. The but I suppose Eastern maybe Seaboard. his character was yeah. supposed to be a bruff or kind of gruff and right. Yeah, because he's 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 ripping on Landon, you know, yeah. who, who's um, constantly for being too smart, and for being too American, you know, yeah. And, and yeah, and right. and he he says, and I like it. It's a great ironic quote, right? I've always right. thought that there must be something better than man, which is awesome <laughs> considering then right they find out the. So I think I kind of like Moreau. From the book, better than I'd like Taylor in the movie. I would, yeah, I think I would agree. He's more maybe of a sympathetic that, maybe character. Maybe that's my conflict there. Is I didn't like having that particular character. And not so much Charlton. I'm not bagging on Charleston Heston. I'm bagging on Taylor, the character. Sure. No, I got you. I didn't like him as um, well. So I, did, I guess he starts off kind of being a misanthrope, right? Doesn't care for right. people, no. really at all. Um, just out for himself. And he was disillusioned because he talks about how in that that scene after he gets sprayed with the hose and they take Nova mm-hmm. away from him and he, it's a madhouse, which right. I've never understood <laughs> that quote by the way. Um, but he he talks to her across the the cages and says, right. you know, funny me who never needed anybody now needing someone. True. And he talks about oh there were women there, there was lots of, of love making but <laughs> not much love. Um, so he kind of talks about. Right the way things were on earth, what made him want to leave. But at some point in this experience that he gets, yeah. um, he realizes he does need people. Right. Um, and he takes her with him. That's a nice redemption she's arc. pretty. So he kind of, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. You saw my line, redemption story. That's yeah. not say that. Yeah. Sorry, man. Yeah. Colin's big on the redemption story. So, <laughs> I love a good redemption Yeah, you're never going to beat him to that one. Oh, so it, the movie did win two awards. It did. It won one for best uh, best costume and makeup. Mm-hmm. And the second one was for um, best original score. I love the score in the movie. The music that, yeah. worked yeah. well with it. And yeah. that, that's, that's one of the things that is a, a major highlight for me. It does a good job of sort of pulling the wool over your eyes and making Earth seem alien. Um, when mm-hmm. they first get there, because it's got right. that discordant music. Um, yeah, I thought right. that's definitely a highlight of it for me. So, but James, you're not a huge original film fan. Not a huge original. I film. mean, so when we when we all got together and watched it, you hadn't seen it in a long time. In right? a long time, yeah, has yeah. been a long time. Yeah. Whereas I I've seen it a bunch of times. I I owned it on DVD. If it hadn't been on Netflix, right. we we were still good. Um, mm-hmm. would have been able to watch it. And I yeah, like I said, I watched it a bunch. Maybe. Really, really like it. And to me, since I saw that before I read the book, again, we talked about this in mm-hmm. the last podcast, that the movie is the true story to me. And right. uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to rank it ahead of the book. Um, <laughs> I'm just letting you know right now. All cards See, on the I think table. because it had been such a long time I watched the movie, and then I just read the book, and actually really enjoyed the book. Right. And you kind and of hope like, to see some of that stuff eh, in the movie, right? The movie was, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot, a lot that I missed from the book, or that I would like to see in the movie that wasn't there. And I get why it's not there. Yeah. Uh, I just like the book. Better. Yeah, they made some changes. <laughs> no, I mentioned that Rod Serling penned the original script, and they kind of went, no, not not filmable. The thing they did keep mm. was the twist at the end. That, that was the that, thing he that made? Was, that was his, yeah. Awesome. And th- there were evidently um, alternate versions of it with it in 
various states of decay. And the fact is, if that much time had passed, and just even a couple thousand years, can you imagine the Statue of Liberty being right. that much intact? Mm. No, that was kind of like, it does kind of give you that sense that it didn't happen that long ago. The monkey rise. Yeah, right? I, I think or they mention they mention the it's age. only been really thirteen hundred years or so because that's how far back the sacred scrolls go. Right. Um, oh, that could be. Yeah, and 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 there's there's some interesting exchanges between Cornelius and Zira in the film mm-hmm. about religious dogma and and where right. it, where it intersects with uh, science. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of fell in between the two, I think. Who did? Right. Cornelius. Yeah, he was much yeah. much less. Um, apt to just go with what his eyes were telling him. Go mm-hmm. go with what science was saying. And, and right. Zira's ragging on him about that. Yeah. Come on, you're a scientist. Like Zira, Zira's on the spot science. Cornelius kind of in between. And then the, I forget the orangutan's name. Zayas. Zayas, who's yeah. totally like religious. Right, right. right. The, one, one thing that I really like, a, a film, a, a scene that, um, that I like is after Taylor writes on the piece of paper, my name is Taylor. Right. Um, so she realizes oh, right. that he's intelligent and he, so they bring him into her office and he's writing a bunch of stuff to them. And Cornelius is like, no, no, no I'm not going to read this. I don't believe it, you know? <laughs> and, um, and then he, he mentions that he flew from his planet to this one. And Cornelius looks at him and says, flight is a scientific impossibility. And then he makes a paper airplane and throws it on the air. <laughs> I love that. And, and Cornelius <laughs> just kind of goes, oh, oh but it, I love that. Never so, seen a lead. Yeah. You know, one thing I, I particularly liked about the movie, is that it did follow the book fairly closely. It did. There were not major deviations. There were cool things that, sh- that would have been nice to have in there, right. like the overhead crosswalks. That's what I yeah. wanted to see. Totally. Motor crosswalks yes. would have been yeah. cool. Yeah. And, um, and maybe at the time they couldn't make a good costume that would survive that. Right. And everybody maybe, did yeah. kind of their best to seem simian, but, but this is like right. one point in the 2001 film's favor that it was done better. In it that was. One. They um, had monkey school. Right. And it was months long. And you right. had to attend it if you wanted to be in there in a monkey suit or be an extra. Huh. No kidding. Yeah. Nice. And they, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Tell us more about the movie, James. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I guess um, another, another point that I was going to bring up earlier, uh, but got sidetracked. Imagine that. That's, that's what the whole show is. It's <laughs> one big sidetrack. You want to turn left they, here or right? Um, <laughs> they do, they do also, they do bring up the whole time dilation thing in the movie. Right. Roundaboutly and briefly. Um, with the with their little what a magical clock they have, I don't even know how it. Was right, it's keeping track of what Earth time is, right. which is a little strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. And okay, so here's another gripe uh, about about the film. Yeah, it shows that it's been two thousand years on Earth. Right. right. It's. I mean, it's. What. Uh, it was like twenty one twenty one seventy eight or twenty three seventy eight, and maybe it's been four thousand years. I don't. I don't remember. But um, but he says because I was looking at that, I was looking mm-hmm. for was there a malfunction? What what went wrong? Do we know anything from the film? And we don't because he right. he gets out and says. This confirms Dr. Hootsie-Gootsie's hypothesis about right. time dilation, essentially. Which, at this point, you know, with with all the tested predictions with relativity, we already know it's right. Um, right. We already know what would actually happen. Yeah. yeah. So we, we don't really need them. But to it's, it's like they were just, I don't know, bringing it up to just question it, I guess. I'm not sure. I don't really see it as like a question. More or less, just they had to, to establish there that it had been thousands of years, right. or at least a couple thousand. Raises years. attention, I suppose. Yeah. Um, because then later, if you got to the that ending mm-hmm. and you thought it had only been three hundred years, right? You'd probably go, yeah, no, yeah, no. And <laughs> so this is this is where you know one of my major gripes about it that I'm willing right. to let go, but right. so you landed on a planet. Oh, that was what and was there are apes there. They were trying to dial in the time when they were supposed to get there, I think, and the computer malfunctioned because they woke up. Hmm. 
way past. Yeah, because he, I think he kind of calibrated it to it. They would get there at like twenty one something. No, th- and then they get there at like twenty three something. No, I I watched it back and and he he seemed to be oh. convinced that it w- it functioned properly. Other oh, okay. than the the hibernation seal broke and and the right. one lady they brought along to breed with was dead. <laughs> which just from like a genetic and lack of yeah that, ra- that ratio was completely backwards. Would totally yeah totally backwards <laughs> um you, you two and two would have been a much better chance of, right. of not getting hopelessly inbred immediately yeah. and being able to have a higher birth rate right? with one lady right. you've got one baby at a time yeah so yeah the, the thing the thing in the movie you, you landed on a planet and you discovered apes there and they speak english i mean straight right. up english <laughs> and it never crosses your mind even one time mm-hmm. that there's another planet that you're familiar with where they speak English, English, at least in some parts of it. Predominantly Is, English. Yeah. Well, yeah. English was predominant by then. Sure, pre- predominant, but, you know, especially pre- predominant in North America, well, right, where yeah. in the U.S. And, and Britain, right? Right. Um, what are the odds... Assuming that English is spoken on another planet, <laughs> that you landed on the part right, of the planet you, where they you speak wouldn't the same English. You were on Earth still. So. <laughs> yeah, what if they'd spoken Russian? Right, yeah. I mean... That would have been more believable right. if they spoke an Earth language, but it was a different one. Then he could have. It might never have occurred to him. Well, it does harp. It Earth, does harp back it to anyway. the science yeah. fiction trope that yes, everyone speaks this and, universal and common tongue. So that's why I have to mention it, but I do give it a pass for that. I'm I'm right. willing to let that go because otherwise, even assuming he got back to Earth, mm-hmm. no way they're speaking English anyway. And right. it's been thousands of years because if you think about, you go back even a thousand years now, and mm-hmm. what we speak as English. Was not there. There, there was maybe Old English, Middle French. Right. Um, you know, we're a thousand years ago. Years ago, we're talking pre-Norman conquest right. of England. Right. So, they could have just had subtitles. They could have, but you know, <laughs> th- no, they're not going to do that. Right. So that's that's why I'm willing to let it go. Yeah. Just just for the the vagaries of adapting. The only movie I ever seen where that worked, where the captive learned the language, was in the Thirteenth Warrior. Yes, which yeah. is an adapted. Uh, it's a Michael Crichton book, and I thought it worked well in that kind one. Kind of boring. Actually. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I thought it too. It was a cool series uh, scene where he's sort of a, acquiring the language, right? And right. then all of a sudden, like to watch him click, and yeah, all of a sudden he was able to. So another place that did that awesome. in a kind of interesting way, um, but not with acquiring a language, but in switching between subtitles mm-hmm. and uh, and English, was uh, Star Trek Six, where where they're being tried, where McCoy and Kirk are being tried, and they've got the little translator things, right? And oh, yes. and they're getting a translation in their ear, even though General Chang is accusing them and, and, and talking in Klingon and they're getting a translation right. in their ear and then all of a sudden it just switches over and they're still holding the things up there mm-hmm. but it switches over for the viewer to English. Yeah. And at some point he even says don't wait for the translation. Um, so he's still speaking Klingon <laughs> but right. but for the viewer, just for the convenience of the viewer, they've switched to English. Well, in, in, so. if you're a, a Star Trek fan, you have to realize that James Kirk speaks Klingon. Does he? He does. I know Picard does. Yeah. But Picard yeah. does everything else. Anyway, I think we've harped on... Yeah that enough but yeah. so yeah more trivia about the 1968 movie uh but i'm at the wikipedia article it says Aww. it won two awards which we mm-hmm. talked about one for costumes one for right. best original motion picture score um it's on afi's 100 years 100 it's in the 100 years 100 movies that one 100 years 100 movies mm-hmm. and right. one two three four it's five in a top six 500. seven other categories wow rotten tomatoes has it at 89 percent. that's pretty good Dang. and given that the sequel was less than half that right Right. Um, <laughs> are we ever going to encounter a case where the original is rated lower than the remake? And we'll, we'll talk about that. I think. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Maybe we we might eventually. Oh, so there was one other thing that I saw a recent article um, about. So one of the things that the the movie does that I'm not sure you get it explicitly told you in the book that 
you kind of have a stratification of ape society. You have right, right. you have the gorillas that are kind of the the police and the military. Right. You have the chimpanzees who are kind of the scientists, and then the orangutans that are the administrators and mm-hmm. government officials and religious officials. Right. Um, and one interesting thing about the production of the film is that they would get into their costumes and just naturally segregate themselves and only hang out with people with this similar makeup. Um, and I read about that on um, Mental Floss, I think, not too long ago. Um, but one quick thing I wanted to mention, we like to talk sometimes about the references to them, and we talked about like Klaatu Barada Nikto last right. time. But for this time, there are tons of pop culture references to Planet of the Apes, and like the ending of Spaceballs. We've all seen that one, right? Right. The Statue of Liberty <laughs> thing kind of falls on the beach. But my favorite one, there was a commercial, an old Serta commercial, where it said something like, there's a place where it's perfectly acceptable to have tea with your high school sweetheart. And Cornelius from Planet of the Apes. And it's just such a random, you know, brought to you every night by Serta. That's awesome. Um, and I just thought that was such a cool commercial. Okay, so we will move on and talk about the 2001 film. But first, but first, a slight diversion into talking about what is the difference between a remake and a reboot and a readaptation. Because we, we have things out of more, more than one category this time. In the previous episode of our podcast, we talked about um, Farewell to the Master, adapted into The Day the Earth Stood Still, and then that film was remade. It was not readapted. It was a remake of the film. So to right. me, I, and I guess I'm just going to say what I think, and you guys can jump in whenever you want to. I, <laughs> we'll I think, correct though, you when you're wrong. Do you agree with me that a remake <laughs> is a remake of the film, not going back to the original source? Uh, I mean, just, just for like the way we would term something. If you want to term it that, I'm okay with that term. Yeah. I'll so if it was if, if it they doesn't went back say, to the book, it would be a readap- readaptation then. Yes. Right. Now reboot, I think, is a flexible term. I think a reboot indicates a franchise. You can't you can't reboot right. a single movie. It's a remake or a readaptation. But if it's a film franchise like Planet of the Apes, the 2001 film was a potential reboot sure. of a franchise, which then was never continued. Right. So it's hard to call it a reboot. It, it is a readaptation according to the credits because it does say based on a novel by Pierre Boulle. Right. Um, but it also does, doesn't it also quote Rod Sterling's screenplay? It's possible that it adapted parts of it, although I'm not sure what parts that would be. Yeah. So yeah, to me, a readaptation has to be, it has to go back to the original source. Um, and it can't be based on previous film. Um, and now, I do want to see if, if somebody readapts it, I, I want to see references to the original. And you do get that in both the other films. You do. Um, right. Which is cool. And, and that's like, out of respect, you have to do that. Right. Um, Okay, so, so I you feel have like a remake, which... The Day the Earth Stood Still was a remake. Um, the 2008... Yes, right, right. Yeah, was a remake of the original The Day the Earth Stood Still. But the 2001 film, Planet of the Apes, I maintain, is a readaptation, not a remake. Or a reboot. I mean, I think a remake is going to have some of the same character names. Right? right. Well, in Tim Burton's commentary, which I, I, I love a movie commentary. I haven't huh. found one that I don't like yet. And even though I wasn't a big fan of the movie, mm-hmm. the commentary is one of the best commentaries I've ever watched. You mean like the director commentary while you're watching the film? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, um, in there, he specifically said that um, the studio did not want a remake. Hmm. Um, and he spent, So they wanted a fresh take on it. They wanted a fresh take on sure. it. And Tim Burton is the guy to do it. Did he read the book? He may have read the book. However, he was given hmm. a script. He was given time to work on it. He says it's a good time he had time to work on it because they had schedule and budgeting problems the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he says you can't remake a classic. You can make an homage to it. I think right. you can mention it. But it's so I'm glad you said that, right? Maybe it was sure. readapted, but there's not much of the book or the movie. 
sure. in the 2001 movie. Right. Except See, that there are apes and there's a time loop and uh, there, well, there are was no apes. That's pretty much it. There yeah. was no time well, loop. Well, no, the 2001 film does sort of adapt the twist at the end more than the original did. Um, right. So the we'll, 2001 film adapts yes. the twist from the book. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, so we'll talk yeah. about that. In, but when you said, what that thing you're saying, Dolly, um, the, the film, the studio didn't want to remake. Right. Right. They kind of went that direction, I think, and this is kind of what I liked about them, that movie in particular, was that they had no guns. And um, kind of the way that they were hunting humans mm-hmm. is kind of something you could maybe see how apes sure. would be hunting something. Yeah. Like, it reminded me of the scene in the Jungle right? Book when, when, when the monkeys capture Mowgli. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're, from the trees. they're swinging from tree to tree. Yeah. They're popping down out of trees, grabbing humans, and then popping so, back up in the trees, tossing uh, in places. A note on that: in the 2001 film, you don't have a human society taken over by apes at all. Really, you you have an ape society that grows up almost organically. Right. Right. Um. And so, so that I think is why you don't see the guns, and you, you don't, right. you, you know, they don't have horses. Right. And uh, given that kind of origin story, which which we could talk about if we want to spoil this as well, it makes a lot of sense. There yes, was right. no existing civilization for right. them to build upon. Right. And so right. I think, I think the way the city is put together makes a lot more sense. And, yeah. and actually, so that's one of the things I like about the 2001 film is that the kind of the set design and the way the ape city is laid out mm-hmm. and the way the apes move around in an apey way. Yes. Right. Um, really, was much better. It was really cool. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was done better. I don't know why they can jump 50 feet in the air. I don't think there's a big they're gravity difference apes. between the two planets. <laughs> right. um, maybe it's a moon. They're maybe, super chimps. Maybe there's a moon. Yeah. So that part, that but, part. But then, but then well, you should have had something like in uh, John Carter mm. movie, where the where the Leo um, Mark Wahlberg yes. should have also oh, been right. able to do super jumps. Yes, uh, true. Based on his you know earthbound muscle. Good point. Um, so, <laughs> but that was yeah. one of the things I did like about the 2001 movie was the they deviated from they deviated a little bit from the. The two thousand uh, the nineteen sixty eight film, I guess. In the yeah, book, in and, that and I think you know what's the point of remaking a classic? Um, right. You're not going to do it better in all likelihood. Yeah, so and they just went a different route. Maybe, and I think it would have been great if they had a better story. Oh yeah, it a, took them thirteen story. years to make that story. It, the oh, whole really? idea started in nineteen eighty eight. The person who was originally slotted wow. to star in it was mm-hmm. Charlton Heston, Bueller, Arnold oh. Schwarzenegger. Oh. Who kind of would be the Charlton Heston of that time, right? Big, aggressive, True. strong guy, chews on cigars. That. I, yeah, okay. That yeah. could have been just a complete train wreck. I, it, I can't it, even imagine. And they that. went through producer after producer and director after director. They yeah. asked Tim Burton if he wanted to do it. He originally did not want to do it, but then agreed to and overcame the budgeting and the scheduling problems uh, and made something that was really realistic. The apes looked right. like apes. The city yeah, looks like it was made ape by makeup, apes. The ape city was really cool. Yeah. yeah. The humans a couple keep their language, which kind of makes sense. You know, you're not going to lose your language in several hundred right. years. Yeah. So, okay, let's let's talk about just in broad strokes, like the difference. I mean, it's almost a completely different pre- um, premise, right? You're starting aboard right. a space station or, right. or some kind of an exploratory station, right. kind of like in uh, Buck Rogers. Right. Uh, like the, on the Explorer, <laughs> you know. Was right. that what it was called? Um, but... They, there's apes there used for not experimentation, but for research purposes in, right. in piloting, uh, space pods. Yeah. Extra right. vehicular activity almost kind of thing. Yeah. Little space pods. And so they're enhanced apes in some way. And I'm not sure. I don't remember. And, and since we, we watched it from Amazon and I wasn't going to pay that fee again to watch that movie, um, I don't remember if they specifically said that they were genetically enhanced in any way. I know that they said they were enhanced. But that could have just been right. in the trained. way they were training, right. yeah, the train training that they went through. Right. Um, but that gives a more plausible apes take over the world in a couple thousand years thing. Well, um, yeah, they outnumbered the humans first of all. Yeah, because um, right. Well, so we better roll it forward a little bit more. Sure. Uh, they come up on a space storm. 
They launch one of Leo's favorite uh, chimpanzees to go in there. He gets lost. What's his name? Somebody uh, Wikipedia it really I, quick I while I talk. Leo refuses to have him be lost. And so he jumps in a space pod and against orders flies into the space storm after him. His clock starts doing weird things. He sees right. the chimp's space pod appear and disappear in front of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he ends up la- crash landing on this jungle planet. And so then you look at commonalities. So mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost a throwback to the book because there's an, a bunch of chimps on a spaceship. Right. And when he crashes, it's kind of throws back to the movie because it goes underwater where it won't be seen easily. So he doesn't yeah. have a way to say, oh, yeah, look, see, that's my ship. And now I have credibility. Mm-hmm. The hunting scene stays the same between the three, although the method of hunting is completely different. Yeah, I thought right. it was better in the 2001 film. By the way, yes. it's Pericles, Pericles. Is, his, is his favorite chimp. The funny thing is when he goes, he goes to get in the the pod to go after him and he says something like never send a monkey to do what a man should do you know <laughs> and um in both the 2001 film and the original franchise calling an ape a monkey was like a way to get a butt whooping right um in in escape from planet of the apes cornelius actually just straight up murders somebody after he somebody calls i think his son a monkey and i, I mean i don't think he deliberately killed him but he's he doesn't know his own strength and so right. he does kill somebody and that leads to the kind of climactic events in it um and in this one one of the apes objects to being called a monkey and he says a monkey is a lower form of form of life just above humans, humans yeah. yes <laughs> um, which i thought was interesting and and so it's like mark Wahlberg through the whole thing says ape and monkey almost interchangeably interchangeably so, right i don't know if that's in the script or if that's just him mailing it in well and that was something else in the commentary they wanted his very understated style mm-hmm. they wanted a lot of communication via glance via facial expressions um, part of that is to offset the rigidity of all those masks. And he talked about the special talents mm-hmm. you need as an actor mm-hmm. to act through a mask and how it affected the costume and the makeup because right. none of the apes, uh, none of the actors were allowed to wear contact lenses. Oh, interesting. Because they needed that eye contact, yeah. those unaltered eyes to come through. Um, huh. in the, if you've ever watched any of the behind of the, behind the planet of the apes stuff from the original series, mm-hmm. if you think it was hard to make expressions with, the modern makeup with that old stuff. I mean, they felt like they were like silent film actors having to completely overact in order to get their facial expressions to work. Right. So uh-huh. when they when they wanted to just grin, they had to do this just ear to ear grin inside the mask. <laughs> so and hope it came through those two big yeah grapefruit halves taped mm-hmm. to their faces. And and right. given given that limitation, that's I really like. And going back to the original film, the performances of Kim Hunter and and Roddy McDowell and um, Maurice Evans, who played Zaius, mm-hmm. who I think is phenomenal in the original, but. Sorry. I diverted back to a film I prefer. No, that's so. okay. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll be doing that a lot. Yeah. Um, I had immense respect for Mr. Burton. I, I didn't like the movie when I watched it the first time. And mm-hmm. after listening to his commentary, it changed how I looked at the movie. So I'm glad that I listened to the commentary. I and bet if you watched it again, though, you'd still hate it. I probably still wouldn't like the movie, but <laughs> I, I understand more what I think he was aiming for. Sure. They were really, like I mentioned, they were really severely limited by budget. And mm-hmm. So they had to cut out almost all the CGI that they could. Mm. So... Lots of miniature work, oh, wow. lots of on-camera work, lots of um, you know old-fashioned style special effects that you wouldn't normally see in a movie made in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Didn't you say that Tim Burton expressed that? No, heck, no, I'm not making another film, another Planet of the Apes. Right. Uh, Wikipedia reports that after the movie, they asked him about the potential for a sequel because it, the the twist ending for this leads right into one. It right. does. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe two. Right. Um, and we'll talk. We should talk about that one before we move on to the rise. Right. Um, but. Um, and his his quote was, I would rather jump out of a window. Yeah. <laughs> and there may be very a lot of reasons for that. He was under a lot of budget and schedule pressure the whole time. Mm-hmm. So let's finish up kind of well. talking about what we liked about the film. Um, it's a pretty short list. The makeup was pretty good. Makeup was awesome. But, and here I want to, I'm going to transfer straight from something that I like to a gripe. 
in the original film, when you listen to the characters talk, it's muffled. You know, you can you can definitely tell they're speaking from inside that that mask. Right. And they didn't do like studio pickups to redub the audio, um, which is fine. You know, for a film of that time, I'm I'm good with it. And in the 2001 film, for the most part, like t- Tim Roth's character, you can understand him. You, you get his dialogue. It's over the top, um, but it's fun. And like Michael, Michael Clark Duncan, who's the main gorilla, yeah, you can understand him. But Helena Bonham Carter, she was pretty. Was, much, I think she was the only like, one. It's like that she was really talking through cloth. That bad because even Paul Giamatti was good. Yeah, Paul Giamatti was also good. Um, yeah. But but her character, it's like why didn't they pick up her audio in the studio? And probably budget right. um, could have been. They didn't. They didn't want to pay for more studio time to do it. But sometimes, I mean, she was an important character, and there were some times right. where her dialogue is like I needed closed captioning to tell what she said. <laughs> it totally took away from her performance. Mm. And for some reason, for whatever reason, the makeup didn't really work as well for yeah, her as she, it did for everybody else. She looked like Michael Jackson. It's not like But that's more of a knock on him than her. Um, but yeah, it, like her, her makeup, the way, I don't know if it just didn't fit her face right because right. <clears throat> it's not like it was just between chimpanzees and, and the other apes that there was the makeup problem because Tim Roth, his makeup worked well. Um, right. Her right. father in the movie, who I can't remember the name of the actor, Bob Cratchit from the oh, um, George wow. C. Scott uh, Christmas Carol. Yeah. Um, his makeup was outstanding. I mean, he, he looked just right. Um, and the, there's like one major orangutan character whose makeup was just off the charts awesome because he oh, yeah. had that big it round cool. head. Right. Yeah, and Paul Giamatti's awesome. was pretty good too. Right. Um, plus, can't we all just get yeah. along? You know, it's not like <laughs> Jimmy Stewart. Um, David Warner. David Warner. Yes. That is the name of the actor who's well traveled. Um, but yeah, so it's not like all the chimp makeup was lousy. Um, right. But it's just like her right, performance which was, which was a plus for the movie, except in that one case. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I feel like yeah. the makeup detracted from her performance because she mm. usually puts in a pretty solid performance, and in that right. one, just she's a wonderful. It's, it's hard to watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was even a a chimp cameo by one Charlton Heston. Uh, yes, there movie, was, which I which I really liked. Right. You know, <laughs> damn them all to hell. <laughs> um, and and the fact that he was. You know, Charlton Heston, NRA spokesperson, is the guy who right. gives him a gun, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> right. um, I'm not sure if that was a self-aware thing, if he realized it. Um, um, so other good things. Um, Tim Roth, to me, was kind of the highlight. He had great yeah. performance. Yeah. And and in terms of the physicality of the ape, not just the makeup, but portrayal, um, like he was number one, no problem, in terms of the way he, he just threw himself into that yeah. and, and did a great job. Another thing that I liked was not just the kind of the physical portrayal of the actors but but like some of the the chimp screaming and that kind of stuff like they were they were apier than they were in the original film mm-hmm. which made sense and you can argue that the reason is because of the origin story of the apes they were not brought up really among humans they didn't come up as servants in human houses and have the apiness beaten out of them right um, so i think it makes sense to right. have them retain uh-huh. that Kind of fundamental apiness, which mm-hmm. the the bedroom scene just cracked me up with. <laughs> Chip lady is putting on the big performance for the orangutan husband, which I'm not even sure they that can interbreed. Awesome. Um, but we'll suspend disbelief. Um, right. Yes, for the for the Give sake of a funny one. scene. So, anything else uh, anyone wants to point out that's good about the movie? Doesn't explain how they got horses. Did they have horses? They had horses. They did. Holy Tim crap. Roth was definitely on a horse. <laughs> Nobody noticed that, and I just I noticed notice this that. myself. No one noticed that Nova went from being a human to an ape in the 2001 movie. Nova was the lady who was putting on the chimpanzee. Oh, seriously? Moves. That's Nova. I, I did not notice that. Was it really? Yeah. yeah. I was wondering. <laughs> see, this is one of the things, like, even if you're not making a remake of Dang. a film, why wasn't Mark's, uh, Mark Wahlberg's character named Taylor? I mean, I guess to keep from being a remake? I think to yeah, distance think it so. as much as they could. Yeah. Um, because I wanted uh, 
uh, Ari, I think was the name of the Helena Bottom Carter. Right. I wanted her to Ari. be named Zira because she was kind of the analog for Zira. Yeah. Well, yeah, except, that, the, except she wasn't a scientist. She wasn't right? a scientist. She was an, she was an animal activist. Yes, exactly. an animal rights activist. Right. Um, yeah, which is kind of hilarious. Our human rights. I mean, it does sound right. like they were trying activists. to keep from <laughs> yes. doing a remake, and it sounds like they more or less did a re-adaptation. Yeah, and it's very loose right. adaptation, and it's, it's important uh, to right. mention that. Uh, other than they, they put in a couple of the twists, and there's references, obviously, yeah. the damn dirty ape thing. Right. Um, damn dirty human. And there's monkeys. That's about it. Right. Or apes, I guess. Yeah, I would love to, <laughs> if, if it's possible, to see that original script from 1988 and see how it evolved the Rod over Serling time. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, you're talking the about the 1988 one, one right. yeah. Um, and to see, you know, if it if it was originally one thing and then over 13 years, I mean, think about that, 13 yeah. years. I, I wonder how far it traveled from its original source material to be that thing that we looked at and didn't enjoy yeah. so much. Yeah, I mean, right. so that kind of my main problem with it is it's kind of dumb. Um, you know, there's there's we've got a movie about apes and humans. We must have we have to have a battle in there. Yeah. Yeah, the ending it, battle. It's just, well, Lord of the Rings happened, therefore we gotta have a battle in every movie that comes out after that. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of lame. And especially given the fact that the apes were so effective when they were hunting the humans, and then it's like they forgot all the techniques that they used when they got to the battle. And they just went straight up charge. Right. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah. The only thing that might work plausibly there is maybe the humans were finally tired, were finally tired of being pushed around and were able to fight back. Right. But now we're stretching, right? Sure. To me, the, the the ending of the film is interesting where um, Pericles comes through. He came through the time warp at a different time, but happened to come through the same place, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense anyway. No. Um, but to me, um, if you're going to come through a different part of time, you're probably going to have to come through a different place too. But whatever. So he comes back and he's seen as sort of the second coming of Christ kind of thing. Right. To, and th- that's decisive in the battle um, because they all witness that uh, Simos has returned. Um, and you know, we'll... We've got to double back about the, the prayer scene because that was pretty funny when we were watching it. Right. Um, the, my problem is then, you know, he gets out and Leo gets into the thing and goes back up to the time warp. I guess expecting that he's going to be able to go through the time warp in just such a way that he gets back to Earth, not thousands of years right. in the future, but I, that's and not problem. to his spaceship. Right. And not to his spaceship. And yeah. I, I, I do not get that. And then he goes through the time warp and of course it lets him out right at Earth, even though there's no way he's anywhere near Earth. And it lets him out near Saturn. <laughs> right. And then he's like three minutes later, he's at Earth. Yes. Right. He's yeah. really he is at, a, at a weird time in, in Earth, I guess. Yeah. There's so that. I, I had a problem with that. I mean, I guess I'm willing to let it go, but. That's one of those dumb. CGI things they should have continued to pull out. Yes. Right. Yeah. All, all they have to do if is you're show gonna have him, him coming shoot out of the, a time the warp. atmosphere of the planet Earth. Right. We, we'll get that. Yeah. If you're going to have him go through some kind of time warp that displaces him from where his space station was to anywhere inside the solar system, why not just have him come out just outside the atmosphere of Earth? Right. Or inside the atmosphere of Earth. Um, so it didn't make a lot of sense to me. No. So, and it, along with most of the movie. However, I like that they kind of adapted the twist ending of the book. And if you haven't read the book, I highly encourage you not to listen to this part. Um, but, you know, the twist is that he lands on Earth, and it's apparently 20th century, 21st century Earth, only... Everybody's apes. And he lands in right. Washington. Right. And he walks right up the Lincoln Memorial. In the Lincoln Memorial and walks up. And as he's looking at it, the camera work is beautiful here. It is. You're yeah. seeing the back of Abraham Lincoln's head. Yeah. And then Leo is looking at the, the writing above his head and his, his face just yeah. changes, right? And then it, it pans around and you see that we're not looking at Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. We're looking at General Thade mm-hmm. from the ape planet. Ape yeah. And talking Lincoln. about how he came down and liberated the apes. Right. Yeah. And I, I like that. And, you know, it left us kind of going, oh, what, 
saith what? You know, um, <laughs> right. We we were kind of looking at that, but if if you're going to have a time warp that can dump you out in you know wherever, then sure, General Thade, maybe he, you know, yep. the the ship was still essentially intact thousands of years later. Maybe there's another pod um, because we we didn't kill him off, right? He just kind of gets trapped aboard the Oberon or whatever it was, Kalima. Kalima. Uh, caution live animals. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I'm I'm actually willing to accept that somehow he got to Earth in the past and assimilated it. Well, um, and hundreds of years in the past. So that the, right. the gorillas and the apes had a chance to rebuild civilization and be in the police cars to arrest Leo right. when he shows up. Right. Yeah. So that's that's one point in its favor that I you know I like that even though the execution of it and and the the randomness of oh I'm just going to take off in my spaceship and I'm going to get back to Earth. Yep. And he just happens to because it's not like that's a long distance craft that he was in. No. Right. Uh, all right. I'll quit griping about it. Okay. Fourth movie. Yeah, so we'll talk just really briefly about Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Fourth movie, that's third movie. It really is third movie. I what, what you talking about, man? <laughs> um, Fourth uh, topic of discussion, I suppose. Well, we should mention that even though it wasn't really well accepted by, by critics, 42% Rotten Tomatoes rating, and that we really didn't like the movie that much, it made money. Oh, the 2001. Yeah. yeah. The budget was $100 million, and it came out with 362 well, it's one thing about the Planet of the Apes movies is they have always kind of been cash cows. Yeah. Um, if you look back right. at the original history, you know, they didn't originally plan on a franchise, I don't think, but they kept cranking those out like once a year um, because they kept making money and they kept inventing new ways of extending it. And Escape from Planet of the Apes, which is the third film, is one of my favorites of the series. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love that movie. It's it's really good. It has Eric Braden in it from Colossus, which we will eventually get to because I like the movie and the book. Okay. Um Cool. He's also like a famous soap opera star, and I had no idea. Um, but I, I Googled him a while back. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk just really briefly about Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, Colin hasn't seen it yet, so we're gonna just talk over it. We're gonna anyway. spoil it for him. Yeah, um, you can Google stuff for us while we talk. So sure. Just, you know, you, sweetheart, just get us something to eat, will you? So, this is definitely a reboot, in right. that it's, it's taking the franchise back to zero. Though you could argue that it's just kind of making itself a prequel, too. Right. Um, I would say it's taking the franchise back to negative one. Yeah, kind of. But what it does, and, and, and what it does well, to me, is it gives a plausible way that the apes could have taken over, right. and the apes could have developed from being ordinary apes to being intelligent, talking apes. Right. Um, and, and the way they do that is with actual medical experimentation mm -hmm. that also introduces a way for the humans to have major problems the to, right, with them. The um, and I don't under. want to spoil too much of it for Colin or, or for any, any listeners. Well, it's okay. I just said, oh, you, I just said we right were going Wikipedia. to. Go ahead. Oh, okay. You did. Um, so, um, <laughs> I warned him. It's okay. Is it an adaptation in any way of the book? Um, no. I, I will say it is really? in that it adapts that little sliver of the book that I didn't okay. like. Where it talks about how it happened. How it happened, sure. Yeah. Um, so I will argue that it is an adaptation of I would that argue it's an inspired by yeah. more so than Can a, you really, really adapt three pages of a book into an entire movie and I, say it's related <laughs> to the book? I believe so. <laughs> I, I, I didn't look uh, when I was watching the film to see if it even said it was adapted or um, based on a book by Pierre Boulle. I'll watch that when I uh, when I watch it. Okay. And there and I didn't pay attention to that. Yeah. So, but I, no, I I argue that it is it is a very I won't even say it's a loose adaptation because right. it only adapts such a small bit. Right. But we don't know where the franchise is going. It's either. It's almost like the only part that it concerned itself with the book was was the origin. The origin. Yeah. yeah. And and it does I agree with you present a plausible origin. Yeah. Right. Well, the other thing it does is it's a good movie. It is a good um, movie. And, and Caesar's that's, the best animated character ever. 
I agree. I mean, it's a step up from Gollum, and it's yeah. it's Andy Serkis. <laughs> it's a um, step up from Gollum. Oh, definitely. Yeah, the same wow. guy that played Gollum, Andy Serkis, is it's, it's, Caesar. Well, that movie. I knew. I just didn't realize you guys thought it was a better performance. I, well, I'm scanning the Wikipedia article, and it says that he won the Saturn Award mm-hmm, for Best mm-hmm. Supporting Actor. Yeah, and he was recognized by that for that performance by. Uh, organizations that don't normally recognize performance capture as an right. art form. Yeah. Oh, wow. well, it's really cool. Yeah. So he doesn't have a lot of dialogue, obviously. And so, right. so the work was really, really critical. And I watched some of the behind the scenes stuff where it showed him in the motion mm-hmm. capture makeup with all the little dots all over his face so they could yeah. capture all the micro expressions. Well, not micro expressions, but the, the, the smallest nuance. And... Yeah. Um, and right. when they, when they made the eight models in that film, they did it from skeleton up in the computer, even though you never see the bones, but they wanted it that realistic. Right. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, really, really cool the way they did all that. And really, really mad awesome respect for, for Andy Serkis' awesome. portrayal. <laughs> and they did Ape School, um, like you mentioned in the previous one. Mm-hmm. The other thing they did, though, is they had to, in scenes with Caesar and humans, they had to shoot them three times. So they would shoot them once with Andy Serkis. Right. But he's too large. And so then they would shoot them with a, a size model. That, that was the appropriate size, who would do essentially the same things with James Franco and whoever was interacting with him. Right. And then they would shoot it with no ape at all so they could get all the background. So th- oh, that way, cool. that way with Andy Serkis, they got the performance captured they could use for making their model. Right. With the second person in there, they got to see what would be over the back of actual size Caesar. <laughs> right. And then, then they got to see all the rest of the details of the back, background. That's um, awesome. With, with the third thing. So crazy, the That's kind of crazy production yeah. time. Wow. And, and I mean, I'm sure you look at the budget and you're like, well, the original one was shot for like 8 million bucks and right. it made like 30 million, which is really good, successful. Where this one, the budget was probably a couple hundred million. I don't know. 93. 90, okay. So, so less That's than pretty the mod- modest budget. Really. Less than 2001 movie. Yeah. That probably just speaks Jeez. to how far the CG. <laughs> Stuff well, has yeah. come. I wouldn't doubt uh, yeah. it. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to do that level of CG. Yeah, than it would have been back then too. Yeah. So, but I feel like the reason it's a good movie is because Caesar is the main character, mm-hmm. and and he's a, a very sympathetic character, um, right. because you see him kind of orphaned, and you see him as he as he grows up, right? Um, and you identify with him, and you feel bad for him. Well, they also, like you him. said, they paid a lot of attention to his facial expressions. Yeah, very much so, and that also helps relate uh, relate the audience to Caesar. Yeah. He, you you can see those expressions. You get, you get the feeling. You you can understand all his feelings and everything he's going through without dialogue. Even though he's not saying a word. Yeah. yeah. And then the the little bits of Very dialogue empathic. are are effective because right. of that. Um, now, one thing I have to throw out here: there's there's tons of references to the original film in right. this one. Yes, um, like it mentions that there's uh, the Icarus flight, mm-hmm. which evidently is sort of retconned into the original film. Because I don't. I watched it yesterday just to find out. Do right. they ever mention that the mission is called Icarus? And I don't see anything. But in one of the yeah. subsequent films, maybe they did. Um, okay. But you see, you see a television screen that says Icarus mission lost. Right. And and so like that was that could, that's what happened. And that's why the second movie exists, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, because they sent another mission after after that. Oh, I see. Um, and there's also the get your stinking paw right. off me. There there is the outright quote yeah. by. Uh, Malfoy. By Draco Malfoy, yeah. <laughs> the funny, th- the hilarious thing is, though, he does that British thing. He says, mm-hmm. get your stinking pour off me, oh, um, because he can't go between <laughs> aw and off without throwing that R in there. Right. It's, what's that called? Like a linking yeah. R? Or... Take your stinking pour off me, you damn 38! Actually, one thing, that, one similarity that I thought, that I noticed, so one similarity I did notice between Rise of the Planet Apes and the book, except for it was the complete opposite, was the interactions between the apes and the humans. Like in in the in the book, he, the the apes treat the humans very poorly. I would say. Yes. And in the movie, these yeah. supposed a primate, you know, supposed to be a primate, um, a 
kind of adoption center or shelter. Sorry, they treat the apes. They treat the apes pretty pretty poorly. And but I could see the, I could see a lot of the similarities between how the humans treated the apes in the book. I mean, in the movie, and it was it's to me it seemed spot on. That's the way the the apes treated the humans in the book. Right. Yeah, I can see that. With the the, the way they had the cage, how the way they described the cages and the way the cages Mm -hmm. looked, the way they had the the pen set up and and Malfoy's character. Yeah. All that stuff. I thought yeah. that was what, what, the, to, the other to, great thing about why do you guys keep saying Malfoy? It, it's uh, Tom, Tom Felton. Felton. Yeah, he's yeah. one of the okay. antagonists. The funny thing is, Malfoy. at some point, he has this electric <laughs> shocker wand, and they turn right. him into a weasel. <laughs> no, no, just the fact that he's holding anything wand related. That wasn't a weasel. Uh, was a yeah. ferret, by the way, branded for it was a ferret actually. Um, so one thing, now that you mentioned the way humans treat, um, or the way the apes treat humans, and the way the mm-hmm. humans treat apes, I want to go back real quick to the 2001 film. Okay. Major problem I have with it that the humans can talk. Um, oh, because. They they make a lot of hay about the fact that Ari, the Helena Bottom Carter character, right. is this human rights activist, and she's pleading with them that can't these people have a culture, you know? And of course they can have a culture. They can talk. They do have a culture. Yeah. They talk. And and if they can, <laughs> it makes no sense to me that intelligent humans, not not right. feral humans who aren't like animals, they can talk. They can organize. They should not be so helpless. And so I, so I just cannot suspend disbelief right. that the apes are that powerful or that more apes wouldn't be sympathetic to humans knowing that they can actually speak and are intelligent because I, I don't think there's not or speak the same language at that. If you want to if you want to <laughs> make a jab at at people, you know, like a pita jab at at people who eat meat. Sure. Our meat doesn't talk. So you can't you can't take that right. human rights thing and go one to one over to animal rights in our current society and have it work because we're not eating things that can speak. True. Um, we don't wonder so. whether dolphins are inte- we wonder whether dolphins are intelligent instead of them talking to us and then saying right. yeah get out of my tuna yeah. net and so so long and thanks for all the fish yes um, thank you yeah. Mr. Adams so anyhow sorry I had to divert back to that <laughs> just because it makes no sense to me whatsoever that people who could talk would right. a be completely helpless against apes who can also talk I, I mean maybe their numbers are fewer but then they would be just so inbred that they should be all messed up anyway right I think you can have smaller numbers but think about this the the apes are bigger, and they were more capable than the humans. That's something that came out in the video blog that he, that Leo watched toward the end of the movie, sure. right? Um, their religion discriminates against humans. Yes. And they are being routinely hunted. We didn't talk about the religion. Uh, oh, right. We totally forgot to, because when we, when we were watching it, there's that scene at the dinner table, and they pray to the Lord Simos, who created all apes in his image, you know? <laughs> and then, then he says, amen, right. and James goes, ape man. Ape man. <laughs> ape man. <laughs> so like, Can I get an ape man? <laughs> um, but, yeah. I thought that right. was... Interesting. I mean, because as as church going people, um, or at least two thirds church going, I guess you do. He attends church. Okay. You do come with us. Uh, we're we're working on James slowly, um, but subtly. Um, yeah. Although now that I've said it out loud, now he knows. No. Um, no, we do like to talk about kind of the religious themes that are brought up in in films and books. Right. But and we really it, didn't go there on this on these books. No, we didn't so much. I mean, we we mentioned that there was the science and religion. Yeah, thing. The, right. the debate between yeah. the two of them. Where the says, there is no conflict between science and religion. True science. True right. science. Um, so, which, yes. yeah. But you, you'll hear very similar sentiments expressed by some people. Okay. Um, so, back to the rise. Yes. Is there anything else? I'm not sure there's a lot more to that. say. We don't want to totally spoil it for Colin. Yeah. But I, I will say that, you know, it is a good film. And that that's right. the, like the main thing that it did right was actually make a story that worked. They didn't go for too much. Mm-mm. Like they didn't have to explain everything. They just needed to show the beginnings. Right. Um, and show Caesar going from this little right. baby chimp to the leader. And it looks like the sequel is going to be pretty decent, too. It does look pretty cool. And so. a, 
another a plausible continuation of the story. Yes. Towards so, the rise. We'll probably not talk much about it. Maybe maybe I'll put a blog up about it. Something short. Yeah. Yeah. Watched it. James is giving us the let's wrap this up, giving us the hook. James got a barbecue to go to, so uh, we got to get out of here. So, uh, any final thoughts about any of the uh, films? We should or? rank the movies. And Definitely. The books real quick. Why don't you go first? Uh, b- boy, you know we we've talked about the effect of we tend to like what we watch or read first. True. So right. I am going to go movie, nineteen sixty eight mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to quickly follow with the book, like one one and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make the two thousand and one movie a four. <laughs> and just, I have not yet watched Rise. It will occupy either spot three or five. I I will go out on a limb and say that it's definitely three, um, okay, rather than five. Um, just just in terms of almost everything about it. Maybe I should lend you the Blu-ray. Oh, I gave you the whole set. Right? You did. Um, it's it's got some cool behind the scenes stuff on it. Did you know, for, for instance, a little little science fact that uh, humans or chimps are more closely related to humans than to gorillas? I was not in aware terms of, of that. genetics. So that's pretty wild. That's interesting. Um, that's one thing actually interesting in the, in the 2001 film, again, doubling back on something, that you don't have that stratification that you had in the original film, where you have the classes of apes. Right. Thade. Um, yeah, because the... Thade was a chimp, and then his right. lieutenant was a gorilla. A gorilla. Right. Um, yeah. it, it seemed, though, like the orangutans were, were kind of the merchants, and, I mean, I guess right. the, the only notable one is the Paul Giamatti, which he had that hilarious line about the, uh, you know, <laughs> the last thing you want in your house is a human teenager. You know that Paul Giamatti <laughs> watched uh, uh, W.C. Fields for inspiration for those roles? Oh, awesome. No kidding. So. Okay, so James, awesome. rank them. Mm, we'll go with the book. He's I'll always going to go book. I'll, I'll probably always going to go book. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, 1968-2001. Okay. So, yeah, I, I go 1968 film, and, and the reason is it just has, I have fewer gripes with the movie than I do with the book. Or maybe not right. fewer, but the major gripe that I have with the book is that section where it kind of explains how the origins of the whole thing, and I didn't need that. Um, and I felt like that was just wasted space. True. Um, so yeah, I go 1968 film, and then book, and then Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Yep. Definitely. And it's actually, I was considering for a while switching <laughs> those around. What I wanted right. to do originally was, um, it was a good movie. All I the movies. The, I thought it was a good movie. All the movies. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh, wow. actually, plan A too, right? I'm going to do it right now. All right. I'm going to rank it everything, okay? Because <laughs> I've seen all of them. So, okay. <laughs> I still go original film, and I'm probably going to give the nod to the book then uh, in there. I guess right I was just going to original film. Right after the original okay. film, but then um, Escape from Planet of the Apes and Conquest of the Planet of the Apes are right up there, and then probably Rise, cool. and then. Battle for Planet of the Apes and Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Beneath, it was the second movie, but it's my least favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. Even though it's, it's still pretty cool. Um, right. And then the 2001 film, somewhere way off in, <laughs> in the basement. So that would be my ranking of them. So if you would like to contact us and let us know what you think of the films or the book, then you can fire off an email, feedback at pavementpodcast.com or hit us up on one of those social media sites, facebook.com slash pavementpodcast or Twitter at pavementpodcast. Okay, so I think we're ready to sign off. So uh, have we decided what we're doing next, James? How about the fly? I like the fly. The fly, okay. Yeah. I think I think we've figured out that we need to alternate. We can't do a full book every time because it, it right. takes so much time to read through a novel um, and then watch all the films. Right. Um, and something like the fly, yeah, there are two major adaptations of it and then a sequel. Yeah. yeah. I, I think we should just stick with the fly, the fly, and the book. 
the fly, the fly, and the fly. Yes, the fly, the fly. I think definitely the fly, the fly, and the fly. It yes. would make the the intervals between our podcasts shorter. The fewer things short we stories. stick in. Right. So if we're going to do books, I think we should do it kind of on a, a cadence of doing mostly short stories and mixing mm-hmm. in a full length novel. Yeah. Now and then. Um. So we're going to need to plan out what novel we're going to do next. Um. We had been considering Day of the Triffids, but it's really hard to get hold of all the film or TV <laughs> adaptations of it. So. Um, I think we should shelve that one for a while. So uh, next time, hopefully we get this posted soon, along with the first episode, so that um, if anybody wants to play along at home, they can read the story, watch the movies, and send us your thoughts. If we get uh, your thoughts before we start recording, then you know they might get read out. They might influence the way we talk about things because we have no structure here. No, Um, nor much self-esteem. True. So I guess until next time. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the book always fall open to where you left off. Bye. You maniac! You blew it up! God damn you! God damn you all to hell! We got sound on do 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 there's definitely a reason that I played the tuba. Yes. <laughs> not, not the butt bone. <laughs> it's a man house!